Welcome to the Mission Daily. I'm Chad Grills, host. I'm joined by Ian Faison. What's up, Ian? Nothing much, my man. It is uh, a little warm in here. Yeah, it's a little it's a little warm in the studio today, but it's summer. We just it's got officially AC summer. And the AC unit. It's will. actually not officially summer until June, but <laughs> close enough. We we need that AC in here. It's, it's getting desperate. This is part two of the seven habits that reading books will help you build. And in part one, if you missed it, we just published it yesterday. We went over the first three habits. In this episode, we're going to be covering the final four habits. And the reason we wanted to do this episode is I just see so much content online about reading books. There's never been more content that tells you to read and everybody knows that you should read more or maybe you're interested in reading more. Uh, And people are, I guess, starting to suspect that um, reading is really important and they, they know this deeply, but they need a little bit more push to really get out there and dive in and make reading a an everyday or uh, every other day habit. And the other piece of this, and we talked a little bit about it in the previous episode, is that reading not only gives you the information, it helps you build the habits. And that part is a distinction that I think we started touching on, but we'll kind of like drive that home in the next uh yeah, next 10 or so we're minutes. always spending our time doing something. And when you're reading a book, it's easy to think of that time as being wasted when in fact you're practicing things that could be invaluable. And reading books is not spending an hour and a half on Twitter, <coughs> Chad. <laughs> no, that's totally me. I'm the one that does that. Um, but, but I think that that is the thing that's kind of replacing some of the reading Right now in yeah. our culture, I know for me specifically, is it's easier to scroll through Twitter or Facebook or Reddit or whatever it is. And that's a different thing that is staying up with different um, types of information. It's a way to learn super fast as well, especially how you do it. But reading is that deep dive. And yeah, I mean, Twitter is very much like the top of you know topical conversations, injecting yourself what's, in those conversations. What's going on right them. now? I believe that's even their slogan. Yeah. But whereas but, reading is, you know, taking uh, basically getting to check out the best of the best of all time and the best thoughts that people have had um, throughout all time. So ready for the first one? Number four, reading books will help you build the habit of getting direct experience. So direct experience is one of the episodes and one of the topics that we talk about all the time here. So basically- The first episode. It, was it the first one? Yeah, it was the very first one. Oh, very cool. Um, so if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. Highly recommend. We have a lot of new listeners. So. Yeah. Direct experience is just the idea that get outside and encounter things without a digital filter or without anyone else telling you what to think. So you just form the habit of asking yourself, you know, what do you think when you look or visit that waterfall instead of- what does Yelp think? What do your friends think? What does the uh, AR app that you have on your phone that you're holding up and or whatever the case is? No, that's exactly right. And I think that books, you get to live, you know, as we mentioned previously, vicariously through people and their direct experiences. And like uh, one of the one of the episodes that we did for the story podcast on Cheryl Strayed is really interesting because the whole book is just Basically, she decided her to go, recounting her direct experience, yeah, her direct experience. <laughs> and it makes you think yeah. the whole time you're like, man, I should be doing more of this stuff. Her book is a great example. And another book I cite as an example of why reading helps you build direct experience is Michael Crichton's book travels. And it's a, an autobiography he wrote that I think it was like the second book I'd heard or second person I'd heard that really talked about direct experience a lot. And what's fascinating is if you look at his stories and his background and his life, 
by reading, he actually got the inspiration to go out and travel the world. So by reading about things, he was essentially advertising to himself and selling himself on the importance of getting experiences in the real world that all of the authors whom he respected all had. So he was a big fan of like Arthur Conan Doyle and folks like that. Uh, I mean, literally, I think Conan, Arthur Conan Doyle wrote a book called The Lost World and Crichton just took the exact same title for his future book. Uh, he would do that all the time with books that he admired and authors that he admired. And I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like, dude, there's so much stuff like that. We need to like, do something on Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah. Because he's... There's some uh, original gangsters of uh, writing and exploring the world and getting direct experience. It's definitely among them. And uh, But anyways, what you see in Crichton's books is this tendency to read a lot. Then that inevitably pushes you out into the real world. You get direct experience and then you come back with fascinating ideas. So the plot lines of almost all of Crichton's novels were directly influenced by his travels. And through reading his autobiography, you get proof that going out into the real world will do something to basically boost your imagination and get you thinking in a whole new way. If you look at some of the oldest books and the most successful books of all time, the one commonality that almost all of them have is that their author was in the habit of getting direct experience. And so to boil this down, like, what does this mean? Well, this means that the most interesting people whose words and whose thoughts survive for long periods of time, sometimes many generations after they're dead, are the people that have got the habit of direct experience. And that habit, as far as I can tell, and this is after reading thousands and thousands of books, um, I've read about 65 books for a couple of years now. Uh, I don't know how long, but quite a few years. And long story short, the one pattern and uh, commonality I see amongst all the authors and all the best books is they read a lot and then they got inspired and went out in the real world and just did the damn thing. So number two. Well, number Number five. five. Fair enough. Number two for today, but five in our hearts. Reading books helps you build the habit of meditation. So when you're reading, you're not doing anything else. If you're reading a physical book, you're not one tap away from an app or Twitter or social media or anything like that. You literally can't exit. You are forced to sit still and just think. So what do you think of as meditation? I don't know. I think it's up to... I mean, there's many different definitions of it. And I think that anytime you start to get to, uh, you know, ideological or anything with meditation, it can get uh, very weird. But I think that with a lot of different types of meditation, uh, it's, uh, there's a Supreme Court justice who was asked um, a a question about like, what, how do you know if something uh, classifies as uh, pornography? And he was, his answer was, I know it when I see it. Type oh, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think with meditation, it's something that you know it when you do it. And you know when something uh, leaves you feeling rested, calm, at peace. And it could be a walk. It could be just, you know, just practicing mindfulness, uh, which is basically just watching your thoughts and filtering them in between useful, not useful, or helpful, non-helpful, things like that. Uh, or it could just be sitting still. Um, yeah. But generally, I, I think it's, the more interpretations that we have for things like meditation, um, the better. And the more people are inspired to test it out for themselves and see what they think of different approaches to it. Um, the more you try to define something too early in its life cycle or when it like starts to rise in popularity, I think that can stifle a lot of the uh, magic because uh, you never know where something like meditation or mindfulness is really going to go or what it's going to turn into. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the idea of just focusing on a single thing for a long period of time is, especially now, the most critical piece of building this habit. Yeah. It's like just being focused on one thing. Yeah, there's uh, just all kinds of studies coming out showing that the you know average American adult has an attention span of something less than a goldfish. There are... There's a book called uh, In the Shallows by Nicholas Carr, I, I believe, about like it's along the lines of like what is the internet and what's social media doing to our brains? And the results aren't entirely clear. It doesn't look like it's that good. Um, and it does look like uh, books and physical pages might not carry as many trade-offs as modern technologies. Basically. But I, I, and I think that the reason why that's important for meditation is that you might like I know I've thought about meditation before. I think I told you the other day that I like accidentally, I feel like I accidentally <laughs> fell into meditation. No, because I, I was like, str- I was foam rolling and I was staring. Did you at, levitate while you were? I, I felt rolling? like it, but I was foam rolling and I was staring at my ceiling, which is like this weird kind of uh, like popcorn ceiling. And it kind of like, move, it's like when you zone out and it kind of like moves a little bit like those 3D things, yeah. those 3D pictures or whatever. Anyways. And my mind just kind of like was wandering and I wasn't listening to a podcast, even though I normally do. And I was just like, oh my God, I think I was just like meditating for like 30 minutes. I am very much not like this. But the idea is when I do read books or when I listen to podcasts or things like that, that's when I really start to like kind of zone out and get into this kind of moment where new ideas start like popping into my head all the time. And then it's like, you know, I don't do this while I'm driving, but then it's like I'm taking notes on my phone or I'm doing whatever it is. And it's starting to like get that part of my brain that is not at all unlocked when I'm looking at social media. It's not unlocked when I'm, you know, talking to other people. It's unlocked when I'm kind of in my own thoughts and here, whether it's hearing someone telling me things via podcast or whether it's actually reading it, that starts to do that for me personally. That's fascinating. I think one thing I'll add about meditation to kind of play off of that is that I think active meditations are the most interesting. So reading is kind of a form of active meditation. You're not doing nothing. And I think that that quest to do nothing isn't quite understood or studied enough yet. So there's some fascinating research on meditation, but one of the anecdotes and perspectives on meditation that I think is really interesting and not many people know comes from Joseph Campbell, another person that we talk a lot about at the mission. And Joseph Campbell basically noticed that his friends who started meditating regularly, uh, so basically they were doing like TM meditation where they were repeating a mantra or they were just doing uh, sitting still and trying to have no thoughts, basically. He noticed that after a year to two years, uh, it ruined their life. And that's a strong, yeah, that's a really, really strong statement. I'm not trying to bash anybody uh, if you're meditating, Um, but I do think that we haven't really studied the effects of doing <laughs> doing nothing and training yourself to have no thoughts enough. I think it's a, it's a very under, understudied thing or something that everybody just views as it's very positive. So I think that active meditations, I definitely prefer those to the quest for nothing because the quest for nothing might just take you there. The quest for no thoughts. Does that make sense? I love it. Cool. Number six, reading books helps you build the habit of strategic isolation. And this is a little this is a little similar to the one we were talking about earlier, but what's the distinction or in the previous episode? Well, what's books, the distinction? So reading alone, this is some of the, one of the things that we kind of like struggled with earlier. Reading alone is like one of the last socially acceptable things, or it's it's basically something that you can sell 
to other people about why you are off on your own or why you need time by yourself uh, to read. And it's not, yeah, I definitely think it's becoming increasingly harder to do and a harder sale to make uh, to other people, friends and family maybe, or your peer group. But I think that it's something that is still um, generally viewed pretty favorably. And we need every excuse and every chance that we get to make the make better decisions for ourselves you know pretty and much then, and i think that this is like we don't it doesn't need to go like super crazy to one extreme or the other but it's the idea that like if you love being around other people like i love being around other people this is why you need to practice reading to build the habit of strategic isolation because you're never if you're never by yourself that's why you need to build the habit because Definitely. it is healthy for you to do that and it's not something that is like uh, soul crushing being alone so if you try to like write uh, alone all the time like obviously that's something that can become soul crushing over time but if you're reading alone that's like the that's the best way to read in fact it might be like one of the only ways that you can really retain that information and then the then the next best thing to do is talk about it in the bushing book club <laughs> oh yeah which uh, i mean this is a great yeah, segue into that. So if you don't know, the Mission Book Club is a Facebook group where each, uh, basically every two weeks we pick a new book, we do a live hangout on it, we read it and discuss it. When's R- the next? So June 11th, I think. Rant and rave. June 11th is it. And we are reading The War of Art. So if you've read it, chances are you've already read it. This is one of those books that I would say becomes more valuable the second, third, or maybe even fourth time you've read it. It's one of those messages that you hear uh, your mind might reject certain parts, and by reading it a third, fourth time, uh, or fourth time, you can get um, some new insights. So. Yeah, absolutely. If you uh, if you aren't yet part of the Mission Book Club, just sign up for the newsletter, and we're going to be emailing details shortly. Okay, the last one, number four for this, number seven. If you've listened to both episodes, the part one, the last one, and this one being part two, we got to work on our naming conventions. Three plus four. Equals It does equal seven. So reading books help you build the habit of telling the truth. Okay, so how does this work? Well, when you read a book, obviously it's gone through some, hopefully it's gone through some type of editorial process and you're basically guaranteed to get better information. And in fact, the older a book is, chances are you're going to get more useful uh, or more truthful information. And throughout history, uh, Books are the vehicle that philosophers and artists uh, place truth in. We mentioned earlier about Leo Strauss. So he noticed that the most interesting people would hide things in books. Uh, And indeed, this has always been the case. But you can't, this isn't something that you can prove to yourself until you encounter firsthand and really experience the feeling of basically like, holy crap, I can't believe that. That is a heretical view. Okay, so it, so explain. This is like this is a really important point. We always do the best one last. I feel yeah. like. So let's do one of the most extreme examples of truth telling and the the type of world changing effects that one person and one book can have. The best example that I know of of that is Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who wrote a book called. I uh, hope I didn't butcher that last name. I think uh, I, I was almost landed it. Uh, so he was a famous Russian writer who started his career inside Soviet Russia, inside communist Russia as a, uh, you know, he was a staunch communist and he was very supportive of the party, 
until he realized that it was not working. And in fact, everyone was lying. Um, people were forced to lie about the fact that they had had breakfast when in fact they were starving and there was no food. They weren't allowed to say there was no food. And what he discovered was that everyone around him was just lying all the time. And so he's in the gulag, he's starving, uh, he doesn't have any paper, and he starts writing down basically everything that he did that caused it, how he participated uh, in this mess. And once he gets through all of his lies and figures out how he was lying to himself, how his current actions are not quite truthful, he starts to modify them and starts to try to improve them. And he takes scraps of toilet paper and starts writing his book, what became the Gulag Archipelago. And that single book has been attributed with bringing down communist Russia. Single book. That's crazy. And I have not read it. It's so he has, so over on the bookshelf here, he has a shorter book that I recommend as an entry point for anyone interested in his ideas. Uh, It's called warning to the West. And it's a series of speeches that he gave at, I think American colleges and things like that. Um, But basically like right before the cold war, uh, he was just going around America saying, Hey, do you realize when you sell like, so he's basically protesting against some large corporations inside America that were selling um, tools and technology to the Soviet Union that were used in gulags and used to hurt people. And so he was, yeah, banging on the table with truth. And I mean, doing so in the Soviet Union, he could be killed. But when, you know, when he did that here, he's threatening the livelihoods of millions of people. So again, exposing himself to death. The point is of all this is that Alexander Solzhenitsyn and people who had immense courage are the types of people that write books. And when they do, they put truth in them. And when you encounter the truth and when you encounter stories of people who took the courageous path, took they played the long game, uh, they did things that were not safe because they believed in helping people or reducing suffering in the world, it will rub off on you. And so when you read stories of other people who told the truth, even when it was hard, even when it was difficult, uh, you're, you can't help. We're mimicking machines. We mimic everything and copy everything, uh, sometimes unconsciously. And the cool thing is, you can. Uh, there is positive mimesis. It's not always negative. So by reading more, you can in fact align yourself with truth. You know, it's really interesting. When I first read the autobiography of Malcolm X, it was amazing to see like his mental transformation, like as a human being throughout the entire book. And it's like one of those. It's the same sort of thing where it's like he was just telling the truth of his situation every step of his life of how he, he perceived that stuff. And like when you read that and you read the perspective that he's looking at, like the lens of life, you understand like the man of what he became and how he kind of lived his life at these different kind of moments. And it was always something that was so interesting to me because you could just feel his thoughts, how they changed. Mm-hmm. How and, he went from Detroit Red to Malcolm X. And, dude, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And like that stuff was... It was really telling and so like visceral to like read those words. You're following the path of him seeking truth, essentially. Yeah, and so exactly. Like, like, or seeking to be less wrong, however you want to define it, basically. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a that's a great reminder because that is the ultimate hope. If you can always remain hopeful and have faith that the person who is really, truly aspiring to do good works is going to either be rewarded or at least there's a chance that their message will be preserved in a book. I think that's a really exciting thing. And ultimately as like being a member of team human, it's something that, <laughs> you know, everybody can get involved with. And it's something that, you know, we should really start celebrating. The truth is a wonderful thing and it might 
set you free. I love it. <laughs> it's kind of a little bit lame. Maybe not. No, it's good. You be the judge. Quick, uh, quick counterpoint. Some people don't have editors and some people <laughs> self-publish and they spew nonsense and garbage. Yes. And I, and I, and like, you know, what about the people who are intentionally not telling the truth? I, you know, what's really interesting. I think that, um, that type of material and, and those type of things, uh, don't survive. They actually, they rise to unimaginable heights of power very quickly. Um, but then they inevitably fall away and just disintegrate just as fast as they, uh, rose basically. And like we see again, the last century is a great example of people who did that at a yeah. really large scale and people who believed in the idea that if you told uh, a lie long enough and loud enough and just repeated it enough that people would just stop questioning it and they, and they would uh, bow to that. It's a, it's a, which is disgusting. It's a really good point. It's kind of similar to what we see with all the stuff going on in Hollywood right now of all these people being... You're not joking. Like being outed as... uh, Not outed, but being identified as people who have been like sexual predators or, you know, other types of um, just terrible people. That all of the stuff that they did and the entire life that they were living was a lie and the truth is coming out. And like for the people who are writing that sort of stuff... If they're going to be writing lies, if they're going to be writing those, those types of that type of rhetoric, the truth will come out. It absolutely will. And it's like, even if you take the quick or expedient path or anything like that, like it's very, I think in our modern world, it's becoming easier to have very fast success in a number of different fields, a number of different callings. That's great, but that doesn't always map to a sustainable success that is going to get you to a place where uh, your name or your contributions are going to live on. And like, so how do you go about planting trees that other people can, you know, sit under when you're long gone? That's the, you know, the great question about that. Like, how do you do things that are going to work for the long term? And again, this is like leading us in that direction. So it's a beautiful thing. And reading will help you tell the truth more. I love it. Okay. Quick recap of the uh, final four ways to build habits um, from reading books. Number four, getting direct experience. Number five, meditation. Number six, strategic isolation. And number seven, telling the truth. So this has been another two-part episode. The feedback on the first one was amazing, but let us know what you think of this one. Uh, who do you want to see us feature? Who do you want to see us? Uh, what do you What do you want to see us cover next? Let us know. Do you want us to get the numbers right or continually <laughs> mess up? Um, no, but thanks so much for everyone to listening. Do you want to do? quick teaser of some of the podcasts we have coming down the pipe or do you want to yeah i mean so we mentioned it last episode we have we're do we're doing five podcasts how crazy is that yeah it was our, just like just yesterday we launched the story that was our first one um so the story with salesforce was our first podcast uh the mission daily with audible was our second podcast and we have three more coming down the pike so what are they so we have education trends so this is a topic that we've published a lot about at the mission and at the end of the day we know that the education is uh, the education system isn't working as well as it should. Maybe and nothing it's broken. is. This Maybe is it's, yeah. This is a good is point. Well nothing said. like nothing. And when people get mad about you know referendums on journalism or education or healthcare, whatever topic it is, surprise, everything needs to evolve. Yeah, everything how, needs to get better. So that's how that's the lesson of biology, the lesson of nature, and yeah. why should human systems be impervious to this? It's yeah. Why? Why is I, I don't know. It's crazy. And we just saw 
Why isn't everything perfect? Somebody get absolutely skewered <laughs> on social media for saying that there should be a slight change. And it's mind-blowing to me that people are upset about this. Like See when s- someone recommends like, hey, maybe we should change blank. It's like, no kidding. Oh, we, we should. Get rid of, we need to get rid of the whole thing. It's like, <laughs> no. Oh, no. Like iterative improvements or massive improvements, they can happen, but you know, we got to talk about it. Yeah. But so, yeah, we're doing education trends. It's going to be awesome. Um, Vimo Education is the exclusive launch partner for that, which we're super excited about. Um, and they're what an a great awesome company. company. And strategic fit where their product and service offering is already improving student outcomes and the work they're doing now is going to eliminate the student debt bubble. And I know it's a big, it's a big statement, but their product actually creates incentives for higher education institutions, students, and generally everyone involved in the college major choice or what type of uh, graduate school students go to. Um, It sets the right incentives and stakes in all of those regards. So can't wait to start uh, diving into that. And we'll we'll do some teasers for the other two podcasts uh, next episode. Yes, stay tuned and we'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.